It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3. Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. With financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Good morning, folks. We're so glad to have you with us. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. That's what we're all about, folks, trying to help you. My name's Mike Bernard. I'm your host and one of the financial advisors on the show, normally with financial advisors Josh Gregory and Kevin Corhorn, yet we've replaced Kevin Corhorn this week as well as last week with CPA special guest Ryan Fair. That's right. Today we're joined for the second week in a row, as Mike just mentioned, by our teammate and friend, CPA Ryan Fair. And today is part two of our series designed to get your brains revved up and ready for tax season. To win on your taxes this year. This is your show, folks. As always, if you have questions about whatever you're going through in your financial life, specifically taxes or anything else, go to wisemoneyradio.com to submit a question or give us a call, 574-222-2000. Uh, connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Wise Money Radio, and um, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play. You can do that as well. All right. So like Josh mentioned, we're joined second week in a row with Ryan Fair right before he gets really, really busy. Tax season is already underway, but uh, we're, we're focused on taxes. Last week was all about how to win this year on your taxes and get uh, make sure you get as much goodies as possible, get all the deductions and do that proactive planning. Today, we're going to have a little bit different focus. But if you missed us last week, Ryan, why don't you remind everyone who you are? Give us a brief introduction. All right. I'm Ryan Fair. Started with KFG back in 2001. Two, two young daughters that are awesome. Jenna's six and Reese is three. Married to my, my wife, Elin. Um, so yeah, I've been, been around the the Corn Financial Group for a long time now, and uh, CFP and CPA. Just got my CPA number of years ago and uh, helping out on the team. Yep, he got his uh, certified financial planner designation, same time I did. Um, and through that coursework, there's a lot that you need to do with that, but we were studying the tax portion together, and Ryan would come into the office and say, gosh, I really like this tax stuff. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> it is so dry. It is so dry. Uh, the planning aspect I love, but all the details, Ryan really loves that. And so uh, we're blessed to have him here and blessed to have him on the team. Hey, before we dive into really the content, Ryan, you're listen- you're, you're talking to a whole bunch of folks. A lot of these folks are looking for tips to prepare their own taxes by them by themselves, which, you know, of course, that's fine with technology. But mm-hmm. give, give some reasons why someone should really use a CPA. Yeah, really, there's, you know, well, there's a number of reasons. Three of them that I want to talk about, if there's a change in your life, or time, or the amount of confidence you have. So first one, change. Anytime there's a major change in a person's life, stuff changes financially along with that in so many cases. Uh, Could be retirement, could be inheritance, could be even just a job change, or kids going to college just have questions that they need help with and just want a professional to help make sure that they're getting all the benefits that they should be getting. So uh, change is, is one of the things that I encourage people to come talk to us when there's change. Yeah. The second one is time. If people value their personal time, I think they should consider going to a CPA for help with their taxes. 
I literally just just within the last week or so, I had a friend that tell me basically how proud he was that he did his own taxes and he gets them done in four hours at, at the <laughs> library. So he takes a day off work, goes to the library for four hours, knocks them out, and you know he's as proud as can be. So I know a little bit about his situation. You know, he's a W two employee. Him and his wife, you know, both have jobs. W twos. Not a lot of difficult stuff going on. I do this all day long, and I didn't want to tell him that. You know, That's I would 13 have it, minutes for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would. You know, I would have it done in. You know, yeah, twenty minutes, thirty minutes. Uh, if if we talk a lot, and uh, <laughs> so I, I didn't want to hurt his feelings too bad, but. My point is, if you value your time and you have better things to do than go to the library or play on the, you know, play online for for a few hours to do your taxes, I saw on Facebook uh, I think a couple weeks ago, and nothing's ever you know a lie on Facebook, right, Casey? No, no fake news, no. right? Um, but I heard that it was an average of twelve hours it took someone to do their taxes what? was an average. Why would you not there? tap out at ten hours? <laughs> ten <laughs> I, minutes. <laughs> All right. So okay. So so that's the time issue. If you value time, you've got better stuff to do. It's it's cheap. Get your taxes done by somebody that knows what they're doing and save you a bunch of time. But here's the value point. Then then the last one. The time. Right. The time is one component, but then the confidence. Confidence. Right? That's the one that I can't stress enough. I I hear this one probably more than any other reason. Um, most maybe I shouldn't say most. Most clients aren't dumb, and with the help of some software. They can do their own taxes. Just they can do they can do them. Like my friend that I just talked about. Chances are it it might even be correct, and they might get the same air quotes answer uh, that I get when I do the return. Mm-hmm. However, it's it, it's the peace of mind and confidence that comes from having an expert do the return that helps the clients sleep better at night. They they know that if something comes up throughout the year, you know they they've got a relationship. They can contact us. I'm I'm at the office. All year long, I'm not there three three months of the year. I'm there all year and, and answer yep. questions and do this tax planning with with you guys as the financial planners. But it's that confidence piece. I have some uh, since you were referring to accountants as being introverted nerds. <laughs> I have some clients that are also introverted nerds, and it always makes me chuckle because they will come in with their tax return completed. Yeah, yeah. It, by usually by hand. Yeah. They, Are they mostly engineers? Yes. Or, yeah. It, yeah. I <laughs> love it. It's amazing. Yeah. I love it. They're they my favorites. In, right. And then I love it when I catch something that they oh. did wrong, and I get <laughs> a better refund for them or help save them something because it, it's really a bummer when I get you know to the end and compare answers and they get the same. <laughs> Dang it! You did them right. Yeah. You know, but it so, is about having right. that peace of mind and that confidence. Yeah. And so. and the. They pay the same fee as anybody else. We're we're yeah. doing their tax return, but it's that confidence that they're paying for that they exactly. appreciate and value. See, and I would even expand upon that confidence idea, though. It's not just confidence that the tax return is done right, but that you're being proactive enough in your overall planning that and, and forward looking enough that you know I'm I'm not paying more than my fair share of taxes not only this year, but am I setting myself up to have a lifetime of paying as little as possible? Yeah. And that's why it's important. You, you kind of subtly said this, Ryan, having a CPA or a tax advisor who coordinates and collaborates with your financial advisor. You want a team of people looking at your situation from multiple angles because the, the ideas and the advice that they come up with is just, it has to be better. Yeah. 
Well, so last week, folks, let me just, uh, we'll, we'll stroll past this real quick and then get into content for today. We talked about how to win on your taxes. And Ryan said, well, it's to get an accurate return that's filed on time and that you've got all your, quest- your questions answered. You, you know uh, what happened. And then Josh and I took it even bigger and said, it's really having um, this year's taxes be part of a bigger plan to help you pay the least amount of tax over your lifetime. That's how we collectively collectively would define a win on your taxes. Now, you need both of those components, but you also need to be aware of changes that could be coming or that have been made to the tax code. And changes happen all the time. The tax code is very complex. So we want to talk about some of those tax changes. Ryan, why don't you lead off with the number one tax change you see impacting people this year? Yeah, well, you're going to really appreciate my number one tax change here. And from my perspective, the the change or the the number one thing is that this year there really isn't a ton of really big changes from year to year. Well, that's which, good. Yeah, it's it's pretty kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Congress is actually proactive at the end of 2015, and they extended a number of things for a couple of years. So that got us in the clear for this year, where there weren't a lot of last minute changes. Um, there's definitely changes that's going to affect every tax return that we prepare but they're more of the normal changes. So tax brackets are going to be rising slightly. Standard deduction is actually only changing for head of household people this year. Um, exemptions are rising another 50 bucks this year, so it's $4,050 per person. Uh, health savings account limits are continuing to go up. And then another thing that isn't changing this year is the due date of the tax return. So Come on. April 18th again this year. Uh, you know, the 15th is what's burned in everybody's mind, but it's the 18th again this year uh, due to the weekend and Emancipation Day that is observed by Washington, D.C. Yeah, so, most people don't even realize that that's a national holiday, right? Well, it's not. At least it's at a, a Washington, D.C. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's not a national holiday. That's the kicker. So. Wow. Well, it, I, I don't think it's just a shock to me that there hasn't been many changes this year. We know of a few, and we're going to oh, be yeah. touching on them. So so the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway, there's not a ton that's changing, but there's some important ones, and we're going to get to those, as well as a lot of other questions uh, coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, Newstalk 95.3, Michigan's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. Good morning, folks. We're so glad to have you with us. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. My name is Mike Bernard alongside Josh Gregory and special guest CPA and all-around good guy Ryan Fair. Special thanks to the attorneys at Leduc, Curran and & Keene and First State Bank for sponsoring the content of today's program. And of course, with CPA Ryan Fair here, we're talking about taxes again, just like we did last week, and really all about how you can win on your taxes this year, get the most out of it this year, as well as throughout your entire life. If you have any questions or comments, go to wisemoneyradio.com to submit a question or give us a call, 574-222-2000. All right, so we've been talking about the focus kind of of today's show before we launch into more questions is, well, what's changed? In order to really win on your taxes, you've got to account for all the changes. And Ryan said, uh, shocker of them all, the first, the biggest change is that there aren't huge changes. 
Uh, but there's some subtle ones, so we need to dive into those, Ryan. What's the next big change that you'd just want to uh, draw attention to? Yeah, the next big change that's really affecting us right right now in particular is that, um, well, first, we're, we're able to file returns. So January 23rd is when the IRS opened up the floodgates and said, okay, you can submit your e-files January 23rd. The kicker, though, this year is they are delaying refunds for a number of taxpayers. So if you file your taxes and you are eligible to receive either the earned income credit or the refundable child tax credit, the refundable part means that your tax is already eliminated or, or wiped out to zero, but you're still getting money back due to um, the child tax credit. If you're eligible for either of those, your refund isn't going to be processed by the IRS until February 15th at the earliest. So, so why is that? Well, it's identity theft. So we more and more we keep hearing about the issues with identity theft going on in, in this country. And um, so many of the fraudulent areas or the fraudulent returns that the IRS gets uh, each year deal with, you know, fake Social Security numbers, fake kids. You know, they, they prepare fake tax returns claiming, you know, made up uh, children, Social yeah. Security numbers and, and identifications so that they can get these refunds, these huge refunds for the earned income credit. Earned income credit is meant to help lower income people, you know, help them stay on their feet as opposed to, you know, that's, that's a big, it's a big credit. And yeah. so that's the first place that fraudsters go looking is to, you know, claim the big credits. And, Interesting. Yeah. And so the, the very people who need that refund, right. Uh, the very most are going to feel a delay. They may be kind of desperately counting the days till sure. the, the money hits their bank account, but it's going to be delayed. It's going to be delayed. And yeah, these are the very first returns that we get every year. The people that, you know, they're usually you know basic returns with a W-2 and a couple of kids. And, uh, you know, they're not making a ton of money and they depend on this refund. And uh, yeah, they're going to be on hold for a few weeks longer than normal. You know, that whole issue, though, of identity theft, that to me is a good reason to not allow yourself to have too large of a refund mm -hmm. because, yeah, it's fun when the money does land in your in your bank account and you get this kind of windfall. Um, the, the problem is what if that windfall does get delayed because you are the victim of identity theft? Right. Um, you know, we've, we've seen clients yeah. who have had someone out there file a tax return using their social security number and it just grinds everything to a halt and they've waited two Much, or three yeah. years yeah. at times to get a, a sizable refund. And again, if you were counting on that money, um, boy, that's painful to have to wait that long. Yeah. And the other real quick thing on that that I want to encourage people is we can still prepare and file your tax returns now. So just because your refund's not going to come right away, please still, I mean, if you normally do your tax return now, still schedule, get in here and do the return so that we can get it prepared and filed timely. Um Still, the sooner the better. That was a plea that you just heard <laughs> right there. <laughs> you can't see the tear trickling down I, my cheek. But I, I do, as we've already kind of mentioned, I think that's going to impact a, a lot of folks. So mm -hmm. thanks for sharing. Hopefully uh, hopefully you caught that. Um, one of the things that's not necessarily changing much are contribution limits, but it's something most people are aware of or, or want to be aware of. How much can I put into my 401k, my IRA, all that sort of stuff? Josh, can you review some of those limits with us? Yeah, and it's important, especially for a show about financial planning, to look at where does your tax planning 
uh, intersect things like retirement readiness and your investments and things like that. So we're often talking about uh, retirement nest eggs or tax shelters that you can use to build up that retirement nest egg. And you hear us all the time mention things like IRAs and Roth IRAs, individual retirement accounts. So these are accounts that you set up on your own and you fund with dollars you've earned. And um, the, the, the idea then is uh, how much can you contribute each year? And the limits are the same. As Mike said, it's still $5,500 per person in the household, as long as the family had at least $11,000 worth of earned income. So if you're working just part-time and maybe you are, are partially retired even, and you only earn ten grand, that's going to put a lower cap on how much you're allowed to, to contribute. Also, though, um, if you're over age 50, you get an extra $1,000 per person who, who's over age 50. This is a catch-up contribution. And again, this is exactly the same as it's been uh, for the past couple of years here. Uh, 401ks and 403bs, these are uh, retirement accounts that you fund out of your paycheck at work if your employer has set up one of these plans for you. That's a huge amount that you can contribute, $18,000 per uh, employee. So if you and your spouse each work for a company that allows this, together you could save $36,000, yeah, which plus- is you know, a much bigger bucket than most people can actually fill up each year. Plus 6,000 if you're 50, age 50 or older. That's, That's exactly right. Another catch-up contribution. And then the last one that I would mention, just to go on record here, a simple IRA is another type of retirement account that many small businesses put in place. And um, that limit is $12,500 per person with another $3,000 catch-up if you're over age 50. Oh, my goodness. All right, folks, wake up, because there's one other big change we need to talk about. Actually, two more. Uh, one with Obamacare. I'm going to let Ryan tackle that. But I just want to mention, we've, we've talked about this on the show a few times. And so if you're a regular listener to the Wise Money Show, you're not surprised by the FAFSA changes. We've already told you about them. But for those of you catching it for the first time, huge changes with the FAFSA application deadline, as well as which tax year you're supposed to use. So they're calling this the prior, prior year rule. And first of all, the application deadline used to open January 1st, and you had until March 1st or March 10th, depending on which state you lived in, to get that thing filed. Not anymore. That application opened October 1st of last year. So there will be no scrambling, folks. No scrambling to get that FAFSA done. Or right. contraire. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> but b- because which taxes are you supposed to use? That's the prior, prior year portion. You're filling out the FAFSA for the 2017 school year. So the prior, prior year would be 2015 taxes. Folks, those are already done. So no scrambling. Well, there shouldn't be scrambling, right? <laughs> but right. Now, who among us, if you're given some extra time to get something done, doesn't just think, oh, good, I can relax now. I don't know anyone. Like yeah, that. Boy Scout over here. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> no, just... I, I've already been running into clients who uh, still haven't filed the FAFSA for 2017, even though they've been sitting on those 2015 tax returns. They've had all the data mm-hmm. for months, but they still haven't done it because they've just kind of put it off. So now's the time to stop procrastinating, get it done. In fact, I would commit yourself to get that done before your 2016 taxes are done. There you go. If you live in Michigan, the deadline is March 1st, but I know you're going to fill it in way before that. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in Indiana, it is March 10, I believe. 
Yes. <laughs> a lot of confidence Clarity there. and confidence there. Uh, hey, I think we can sneak this in as well, although big changes. Uh, what's going on with Obamacare in taxes? Oh. Yeah, penalties are going up this oh. year. So 2016 tax returns that we're going to be preparing right now, uh, the penalties this year have gone up significantly. $695 per adult that doesn't have insurance or a proper exemption. And half of that for each child, so $347 for each each child, or 2.5% of your income that's above the filing tax filing threshold. And the kicker is it's the greater of those two numbers. Yeah. So mm. if you're lower income and don't have any insurance or, or an exemption, you're paying the $695 per, result, per adult and $347 for children. The maximum is here over $2,000 per family. So if you've got 20 kids and two adults, you're capped out at the $2,000 penalty. If higher income people, if they're making, you know, a $100,000, $150,000 a year, they're going to be looking at a penalty of 2.5% of, of that number yep. for, for not having insurance. Yeah, so mm-hmm. watch out, be aware of that. And I know this is all over the news right now with the new administration coming in. Right. Folks, that doesn't impact last year in these taxes, so, so be aware. We're talking about more changes coming up as well as other tax questions. We're going to hit that coming up here on Wise Money with Fort Horn Financial Group, 95.3 MNC. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station. Good morning, folks. Thanks for spending some of your morning with us. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. My name's Mike. I've got Joshua Gregory and CPA Ryan Fair in the MNC studio with me. Big thanks to Bethel College Adult and Graduate Studies as well as Diane Bennett and her inspired team at REMAX 100 for partnering with us on the Wise Money Show. We're talking about how to win on your taxes. We were talking about that last week as well. Today's all about, well, what changes do you need to be, be aware of to have the most accurate tax return and get the most refund or owe the least amount of tax possible? If you have any questions, go to wisemoneyradio.com or give us a call, 574-222-2000. All right. Uh, so what about big changes with small business owners, right? Um, what, do they, what, what do folks who own their own business or have a side business, what do they need to be aware of for tax changes for 2016 and even 17 if you have those? Yeah, so the, there's a couple of changes for, and this is more towards the uh, more formal businesses, not the side businesses or the mm-hmm. little uh, consulting type, type gigs, but couple of deadline changes that I want to make sure we point out for, for business owners. If you have a C-Corp return, which is typically larger companies, they move the deadline on those back to April 15th. So it's always been March 15th. They moved them to April 15th. So that's no big deal, but it's helpful to know. The one that could cause problems for people uh, is partnership returns. So partnerships are way more common for small businesses and uh, uh, taxpayers that we typically deal with. They moved these returns up to March 15th. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So they did a little flip-flop on those two. And you can think of it as, as the, the pass-through entities are S-Corps and partnerships, typically. And so they those returns have to be done prior to the individual having their taxes done. So that's why they've bumped these up, uh, so that the K-1s can get 
distributed. Oh. You know, yeah, I know. I, I was know. ready to get upset, but that your explanation it, was way it too makes logical. Sense. I know. <laughs> it does make it's sense. something that probably should have been done in the first place um, yeah. when they, whenever they created these rules. But so they did flip flop those this year. Uh, the other thing that's really actually a good thing for a lot of small businesses, and this does affect smaller size businesses, not just big ones. Um, but they they changed the de minimis safe harbor amount for assets. So before. Kind of the rule of thumb for assets, what's anything over 500 bucks that a small business buys, they need to capitalize it. So that means they have to put it on their depreciation schedule, deduct it over a period of, you know, however many years, depending on the asset. And it's just kind of cumbersome and uh, time consuming for the business owner to track each individual asset separately like that. So they have actually increased that de minimis amount as a safe harbor now. Up to twenty five hundred dollars per invoice, which is really a big help for small businesses. That is, yeah, yeah, and so so it really just lets the business expense a lot more of their, you know, smaller equipment as opposed to, you know, tracking it forever on depreciation schedule and deducting a few bucks every year. So yeah. so that is a big deal for small businesses. Yep, a couple other changes to hit, but this is really for twenty seventeen. If you live in Indiana and you pay Indiana state tax. Uh, you may, well, there's actually a debate going on right now about added uh, legislative measures to make sure the state has a clean balance sheet. One of the things that we are going to benefit from, we have been benefiting from, from our state's clean balance sheet, is our state tax rate's been going down. It was mm-hmm. 3.4. It then went to 3.3. Starting in 2017, it's going to go down to 323 yeah. So that's good. I mean, that's not huge increases, but guys, I've been doing this a long time. I haven't heard a lot about tax decreases, right? Where the rates have been going down. It's well, exciting. Yeah. And what uh, the state giveth, the feds take away, right? <laughs> uh, so an example of some pretty significant tax increases that are coming here in 2017 has to do with how you pay into the Social Security Administration. That's right. And we're, we're talking about um, the, the taxes uh, commonly referred to as FICA tax. And uh, it used to be that if you earned... Uh, a, on the first $118,500 to be exact, yep. you would be taxed on Social Security uh, on that first 118. Now that threshold has gone up to 127,200. To my knowledge, the largest increase that they've ever done. I went back and looked because you did st- you find you, one. You've tried to steal the thunder from me, but I am the nerd here. Okay, so don't. Okay. How far? Uh, did, wait, I'm here this, ba- this week, guys. It was back in the '80s, actually, and I, I. This is the largest dollar amount increase, but I'm talking percentage. Okay. It was back in the early '80s. There was a bigger percentage increase, but guys, that that's huge. It, it sure is. Now it doesn't apply to everybody because mm-hmm. you know certainly uh, not everyone earns hundred and twenty-seven thousand dollars, but. Uh, This is kind of a a hit that's going to be applied to higher income Americans paying more into the Social Security Administration. It's all part of an attempt to try to buffer, um, you know, the Social Security trust fund and try to keep on chipping away at the problem that that exists with uh, that whole system. That's right. So you're going to pay into the Social Security on the first 127,200 that you make. And that's an increase from 118,500 for the past several years. So big increase there. So, folks, we're blessed to be joined by CPA and tax expert Ryan Fair. We're going to start taking them to task here with some of the questions you guys have sent in uh, about taxes. So first one comes from John. 
Here's what he asked. I contribute to my Roth IRA monthly, automatically, right out of my checking account. But I might have jumped into a higher tax bracket in 2016. Is there a way to deduct those contributions instead, or is it too late? There actually is, and this is a $50 word in the tax code, uh, <laughs> but it's called a recharacterization. Try spelling that one. Uh, um, you know what? So Microsoft Word will tell you you spelled it wrong. That's right, even <laughs> if you get it right. I don't even think it's in the dictionary, <laughs> but it's in the tax it's, code. It's made up. Uh, but basically what it is, is it's kind of you undoing some of the strategy that you did throughout the year in 2016, and they they really have to have... Um, kind of a do-over type of, uh, of approach here because there are limits on who's allowed to make contributions to an IRA or a Roth IRA. And I, I don't think this is the situation that you're describing, John, but if your income gets too high, then you're actually not even eligible to contribute to a Roth IRA. So they have to give you a way to back the money back out or recharacterize it, change the way you're you're treating it from a tax standpoint. Now, there's uh, not just the how do you get it right on the tax return issue, but you also have to physically shift the money out of that Roth IRA and into a traditional IRA or just pull it back out altogether. So uh, this is a great example of where your investment advisor or your certified financial planner and your CPA really need to collaborate and get this right. Yep. And uh, it's one of the reasons why folks who do get into higher and higher income uh, situations, sometimes they'll just wait and make their contribution to an IRA or a Roth IRA this time of year for last year. But I like doing it early because the markets don't go up every year, but they go up most years. And so I like doing it early to have that growth in there. That's but. that's absolutely true. And, and certainly... Uh, sprinkling the dollars in throughout the year uh, makes some mathematical sense. We could make that argument. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if it just creates a bunch of extra work or uncertainty, mm -hmm. um, maybe your situation is that you need to just pause and every March, let's say, you make a contribution for the prior year. And that's a legitimate way to do it as well. Yeah. To Roth or not to Roth. A lot of people think that's an investment question. That is a tax question, folks. Speaking of tax questions, I don't think we're going to be able to answer all of this right now. We'll probably do it in a two-part, but Erica asked a great question. I sometimes work out of my office at my house, home office there. People have told me that I can write that off on my taxes. Can you help me understand these rules? I can. Good question, Erica, but lots of different things here, so I'm going to cover it fast. So first, office area that you have in your house must be used regularly and exclusively as the taxpayer's principal place of business. Mm. So what in the world does that mean? Exclusive means that area has to be used only for business. Can't be a den or a spare bedroom that you let your family or kids play in or sleep in or whatever. Has to be exclusive. Regular means it has to be um, regular, <laughs> not, not just incidental <laughs> or occasional use. Yeah, that's pretty deep thinking, but not just incidental or occasional use. That doesn't count. And it has to be in connection with a trader business. So you have to be doing something business related in your home office. And then finally, principal place means that you can't have another fixed office location where you do most of your work at. So you can't have an office like an actual office building, but then also work at home. Like me, for example, I do a lot of taxes at home in the evenings or whenever. Mm -hmm. That's not my principal place, so I cannot 
write that off as a home office deduction. I think we're going to come back and, and, and pick that back up because there's a few other intricacies or really just to remind you of what all that means. So that and even more listener questions coming up about donations to Goodwill. Good one here with Corhorn Financial Group, 95.3 MNC. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran & Keen, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Good morning, folks. We're so glad to have you with us. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on 95.3 MNC. And the morning's just flying by. We're talking taxes and trying to have fun and keep you awake. <laughs> My name is Mike Bernard. I'm one of the financial advisors on the show, along with Joshua Gregory and CPA Ryan Fair is joining us talking taxes. If you missed anything, go to wisemoneyradio.com or check out the podcast on iTunes and Google Play. You can listen to previous episodes or miss anything from today, but it's interesting to you. Go back. It's usually on the podcast on Tuesdays. Uh, if you have a question, reach out to us, wisemoneyradio.com or 574 222 2000. Lastly, you can submit a question on Facebook or check out blogs and quote of the week and all sorts of stuff on Facebook and Twitter at Wise Money Radio. All right. So we're diving into listener questions. We had a great one about if you Roth, can you undo? And yeah, you kind of can. Um, then we jumped into Erica's question about whether you can deduct or claim a home office deduction if you work out of your house. Ryan, recap those rules, and then I think I just want to go a, an inch mm -hmm. deeper with that. All right, so Erica's question about the home office. We said that the office area has to be used regularly, has to be used exclusively, has to be your taxpayer's primary uh, place of business. So those are the three biggies. Once we determine that, hey, you may qualify for a home office deduction, what does that mean? So it means different things to different people, but first, if you're a sole proprietor... Uh, meaning you file Schedule C and have, have income on that, you get to deduct it right off of your Schedule C. If you're an employee, it's not as beneficial. It gets deducted in a different spot where you most likely won't get the same same yeah. kind of deduction or same benefit. But as far as actually calculating it, there's two different ways to do it. The, the way that it's always been available is it's all based on the square footage of your office area compared to the, as a percentage of the, square footage of your entire house. And so whatever that percentage is, office area divided by house, you take you know a percentage of your mortgage interest, your property taxes, your insurance, your utilities, all of that stuff into account and take whatever fraction of that, of your house that, that's used for the office. And that's, that's the way it's always been done. Starting a couple, I think two, maybe three years ago, two years ago, uh, the IRS came up with a, an easier way to do it. Um, much like the mileage that they let you deduct, they came up with an, an easy way to do home office where they give you a flat $5 per square foot as the allowable deduction mm. so of the office area. And so, so you still have to keep track of your square footage and expenses and all that stuff, but your, your deduction's a flat $5 per square foot, and that's on the first 300 square foot used for the office. And then you still take your mortgage interest and property taxes over on your Schedule A, where you would normally deduct those if, if you itemize your deductions. 
What about utilities and that sort of stuff? Do you track that stuff? That's part of, under the, the easy way of doing it, that's yeah. all part of the $5. Um, if you are doing actual expenses, you do need to track all of your actual utility expenses and actual you know, out-of-pocket expenses for the year. Mm-hmm. You would think, though, that most years, um, that would be pretty consistent. Like you, yeah. you would maybe want to track both options, figure out in your unique situation which is the better deal for you. Mm-hmm. And then probably you, you kind of stick with that one, right? Yeah. And, and really, we did that for, for a number of clients in that first year when it came out. And most of our clients chose to just do the $5 per square foot. It was much easier. They don't have to keep all the records if they, if they do it that way. Um, and it's, it was pretty much as beneficial or more beneficial than their actual expenses. So that was kind of like the, the way to go. Helpful. Yep. Good stuff. And that exclusive use, though, trips people mm-hmm. up. My wife moved the kids' Lego table into my home office. Now, it's not my principal place of work, right. but I just want to mention that on air because it drives me crazy. Kids are in there trying to play Legos and throwing stuff at me while I'm reading or doing research. <laughs> That's the type of thing an auditor would look for, though, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, they're looking to see, are you storing, you know, Christmas uh, wrapping paper and stuff in the closet there? Yeah. Are you? Is there a spare bed in that room that you're calling your office? That right. kind of thing. So yeah, you, you do want to be pretty, pretty cut and dry on this stuff. Yep. yep. Uh, next question comes from Justin. He's 54. He says, my wife and I occasionally donate items to Goodwill. Do I need to keep all of those receipts in order to claim that on my taxes? And what are the rules for the values that I'm allowed to claim? The infamous $100 sweater or $100 t-shirt? I think I ask this question of Ryan every single year when he's preparing my taxes, Mm -hmm. by the way. Do I really need to hang on to this? And I always tell you, (laughs) yes, I keep waiting for you to change your answer. No. Because it does feel like a hassle, doesn't it? Yeah. It it is a hassle, but uh, the IRS doesn't care about your hassle. They want want you to keep uh, proper records and... In order to take deductions, whether it's cash contributions or non-cash, like we said, Goodwill, Salvation Army, St. Vincent, who, whoever you contribute to, you do need to get written acknowledgement from the charitable, charitable organization to document your giving. Now, from a taxpayer stamp- standpoint, the good part is that they don't put the value of the items you're donating on that list. They give you a blank form that says, Yes, we acknowledge that you gave us something, and then you're required to fill it out. So the normal contributions, clothing, household goods, furniture, stuff like that, they kind of give you some guidelines of thrift shop values. You're allowed to deduct the fair market value of the stuff that you're, you're donating. And so typically on those kind of places, the, the thrift shop value or what a item would sell from a willing buyer to a willing seller um, that's the amount that you get to deduct. So thrift shop value is what it would sell for in the store, not what you paid for it. That's kind of irrelevant. Um, not what you think it, you know, should be worth, <laughs> you know. And so garage sale prices, is yeah, that it? Yeah, garage sale prices, that's a good way to put it. Thrift okay. shop prices, uh, garage sale. If if you had it in your garage sale and it didn't sell, you probably had it marked a little bit too high, so, <laughs> so edge it down just to be on the safe side. But... Uh, I mean, anymore, I'm telling people, you even need to document what you're taking with pictures, which is Are you serious? Oh, wow. Yeah. I've read a number of things where the IRS has wanted proof of, you know, the load of stuff you're taking to to Goodwill. And, I mean, the more more detail, the better. 
Um, hey, um, when I give you my goodwill receipts this year, just ignore these cross-offs, like these scratch-outs. Oh, I'll ignore uh, the goodwill receipts altogether, <laughs> and that's, you won't get any deductions. But this is like, the other thing, because we take them throughout the year, and right. um, I just uh, just put those in your in your yep, folder your for tax taxes, folder. and I f- and just forget about it. Don't. Yeah. So it is kind of a hassle, but just the, set them aside. Yeah. The other thing, you have to the stuff you're donating has to be in good used condition or better. Mm. So if you're given Holy jeans, I guess that's in style though. I mean, if you're giving worn out jeans or worn out shirts and and stuff to Goodwill, you know that's the broken junk. record player. Yeah, doesn't yeah, work. brokered record player. The that's trash. VCR. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's not a deduction because you know there's no value to it. Um, and yeah, if there's anything major that you're donating, meaning over five thousand dollars or a vehicle, something like that, there has to be either if it's over five thousand, it has to have an appraisal. Um, to, to document. If it's a vehicle, you have to get, I mean, the, the charities know what to do with it, but they, they have to give you a form for basically what they sold the vehicle for, not what they, not what, you know, Blue Book says or any of that stuff. It's what they turn around and sell the vehicle for and what they, you know, very give for interesting. it. Yeah, very interesting. Add that question comes up all the time. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's sneak another one in here. This is from Sam uh, from South Bend. I don't have enough money to contribute to both my 401k and my HSA. Do you recommend one over the other? And I'm just going to lead off here and say the 401k could help you for this next tax year, but the HSA, you might, you could still do that for last tax year. We, we talked about this uh, in last week's episode, but if you're looking at how to improve your tax situation for last year, even you could still do, assuming you're eligible and have a, uh, an eligible high deductible health plan, you could still do the HSA for last year. Well, the other cool thing about an HSA is you, you not only get to put the money into that account before taxes, it stays in the account for however long, and if it earns a little bit of interest, you pay no tax on that interest. And then when you pull it out, you pay no tax. Yeah. So so literally, the, these could be dollars that are completely tax-free for you, and that is not how the 401k is. That is just postponing tax for you. Exactly. But So, so we, we certainly like the HSA. We love the flexibility and everything. But don't let the tax tail wag the dog here. Yeah. At the end of the day, I would turn that question back on you, Sam, and ask you, well, what is the purpose of this money? If you have major medical expenses on the horizon or you don't have any dollars squirreled away for potential medical uh, expenses this year, then maybe that's the, the use. But if this is really long-term money, the, the 401k would be the way to go. That's all the time we have today, folks. On behalf of CPA Ryan Fair, Josh Gregory, and myself and the rest of us at KFG, have a great weekend. We'll see you next week for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on 95.3 MNC. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.